welcome to Estradi Illusions. We have a we have a great episode planned today. That's our our episode about the state of transgender rights in the UK was such a big hit that uh, I wanted to explore a few other parts of the globe and wanted to talk about New Zealand, which is a country that my mother has always loved. She did a semester abroad there. I did a semester abroad in Australia, and I had the chance to visit. I explored uh, all around the South Island, so I really uh, fell in love with the country. It's a beautiful country, and we have a great person here to uh, chat with us about the state of transgender rights in New Zealand. We have the great author, Caitlin Spice, here. Caitlin, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, Yeah, sure. Um, Obviously, I'm a New Zealander. I've lived here all my life. I was born in the Waikato region, and I now live in the Wellington region. Um, I transitioned in 2007, so I've been around for a little while. Um, I started getting politically active with trans rights in the last few years as I've seen, seen things slowly going down the toilet with the UK. Yeah, yeah, that's been uh, a total uh, total mess. It'll be, it, it's, it, it's interesting to get your perspective as somebody who uh, transitioned over a decade ago because um, I feel, and I, I, I get the sense that you're probably a little bit on the same page just from reading your tweets that... Um, there's there's this really big firestorm on social media right now that uh, really it, it, it can ruin a person's day looking online. But then you uh, you you put down uh, Twitter, you step away from the computer and, you know, the, the world out there is, uh, you know, surprisingly, uh, surprisingly normal, at least for uh, in my perspective, you don't. Um, if you just judged life based on what you see in your Twitter feed, you think, oh, my God, it's it's awful. And then you go out and, uh, you know, the world's the world's not really that bad of a place in a, in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, this is um, my most recent job I had is the first job that I've actually been out as being trans in since of my first job I ever transitioned in in 2007. Um, and no one really gives a shit. Uh, no one's seen anything or... Uh, behaved inappropriately or done anything you know you get the the usual odd questions about you know surgery and stuff like that but um people are really <clears throat> careful about it now um how they approach these issues so i think there's a lot of general sensitivity around trans stuff that's obviously been propagated through general society and yeah in person people are generally really good it's only online that you see all this bullshit yeah, the um, there was a picture. Uh, London Pride just happened, and there was a. It was a really telling picture because uh, I know that you get a lot of um, harassment online, and uh, I certainly get a, a, a fair bit of it. But the sight of of the the anti transgender, uh, they're really just trolls. I wouldn't call them activists. Um, there was like there was like maybe uh, no no more than a dozen of them, and they looked kind of foolish with their. Um, we get the same. Uh, protesters at our uh pride events in southern california they tend to be more uh religiously affiliated than yeah I know uh, the ones. Uh, yeah and uh it it's it just the sight of them you'd think like the way that the the way that the media frames this as uh they often they often frame it as a as a sort of a, as a transgender people versus uh, uh feminists or lesbians and it's like no it, it's really there's really like 10 of these people and they've got a bunch of scarecrow uh, Twitter accounts that I, I, I got to imagine a lot of them aren't even real. Yeah. But um, speaking of speaking of the media, um, 
I, I know that you were just recently profiled in the uh, in one of the uh, papers in New Zealand. Um, is there in the in the New Zealand press much of a um, between between the UK press and the American press, uh, specifically more the uh, right wing leaning in in the states? But there's there's um, it's like there's a market for for transphobia there that they're they're catering to. Do you see that really with your with your local papers at all? Um, not so much anymore. Certainly, um, in the last ten years, obviously been around for a while. I've seen trans issues used to be used as salacious clickbait for people to, you know, that they'd see a transgender headline and people would click on it immediately because it was still a, a relatively unknown and rare thing and. Um, you know, human beings are attracted to, to unusual stuff and novel things and want to check that out. But now our reporting on trans issues is nothing like the UK and the US. It's pretty fair and balanced. Um, we had a piece recently by Susan Strongman and she um, presented both sides very fairly, the, um, the gender critical side and the uh, trans rights side uh, and had... Uh, opinions from doctors and psychologists and human rights activists and um yeah it, it was great there there wasn't the usual um fear-mongering scaremongering stuff going on that you see in a lot of the UK tabloids it was it was very fair and balanced that's good to, that's good to see because um at, at least lately in uh, America you see a lot they tend to dominate the opinion sections of uh stuff like you know, they tend to be more uh, the the right wing blogs, but even the Wall Street Journal, which is a fairly I mean, it's it's in, in terms of the spectrum, kind of a more uh, reasonable right. They're conservative leaning, but they tend to be somewhat down the line. And lately it's just been editorial after editorial. And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, like, in, in what other context is it a, like, appropriate to just focus on this one group this much? Or are you just literally doing it for the, the clicks? But uh, it's good to see that uh, there isn't much of an appetite for that in New Zealand, which is something that I guess really wouldn't have, um, which wouldn't have surprised me when I was there in 2012. I, everybody was, was really lovely and laid back and you just, you didn't see a lot of, uh, that kind of nonsense. I wasn't out yet. I was a couple years before I uh, came out, but um, you know, you see all the time uh, what a what a great place uh, New Zealand is to live, and especially I don't know if you knew uh, about two weeks ago we had a Democratic uh, presidential primary debate where one of the candidates, who's kind of one of the more uh, long shot candidates, Marion Williamson, known as uh, Oprah Winfrey. Winfrey's a spiritual advisor, a sort of a, she's kind of regarded as kind of a sorceress on Twitter, but they asked a question about what your first call would be if you were a president. And she kind of shocked everybody. And she said, I would call the prime minister of New Zealand with regard to um, her pledge to make New Zealand the greatest country in the world to raise a child. I don't know. Did that, did that make any, any waves in New Zealand, that kind of mention? Oh yeah, we heard about that. And um, a lot of us are saying things like, well, we'll gladly send Jacinda, our um, prime minister over to teach the US a few things. <laughs> I think um, one, of the, one of the things that people don't realize about New Zealand is that our political spectrum at the moment, we have a, uh, a left-leaning government and 
To put it in perspective with the US, our right-leaning government would be considered left-wing by you guys. Right. There was a bit of a there was a study done on um, how transgender people were treated in the uh, in New Zealand a couple of years ago, and I was kind of marveling at that. That um, in the U.S. with the way not, I mean we have a we have a right leaning or we have a Republican uh, federal branch, but the fact that the Senate uh, the Senate really for the past couple of years hasn't moved at all because you need sixty votes to pass anything. That's the bicameral uh legislation see the house is democratic and that they can pass legislation like they just passed the equality act but in the senate the fact that there's um you need 60 votes to get anything and it's right now it's a 53 47 split and that kind of just means that any legislation like any anything pro lgbtq is pretty much dead from the get-go even if the democrats were able to take back the presidency and the Senate, just because um, it would be hard for them to get past the 60-vote threshold. So it's, it's, it's frustrating to see that government, in terms of protecting LGBTQ people in the U.S., they're, they're really hamstrung. They, they can't yeah. really do anything, and I don't see that really changing in 2020. But from um, can you talk a little bit about the—I um, know in 2013 there were some changes made that allowed— um, same-sex couples to marry and uh I, I was kind of marveling at that too that it didn't have to happen through the judiciary like it did in the states yeah so we have something in new zealand um called members bills where members of parliament can um put bills into a ballot and the ballots are literally drawn out of uh, a biscuit tin or what you guys would call a cookie tin um and so uh mp louisa wall's bill was drawn out the marriage equality bill and it went through parliament. Um, there was a lot of entertaining press about it. One of the uh, New Zealand MPs went viral for his speech about a big gay rainbow over his electorate uh, as an omen of it going through. Um, and it was it was generally well supported by the, the New Zealand public. I mean, you've got to remember that we had the first transgender member of parliament in the world, Georgina Byer, so right. we're Pretty pretty liberal place when it comes to uh, to LGBT rights. And one thing I I noticed as I was reading was um, New Zealand does make clear that transgender rights are protected in just the same rights that would uh, prevent like se- just uh, legally uh, mandated sexism in in America. We have a, a code of um, called Title Nine, which is. Uh, basically prohibits uh, discrimination on the basis of sex. And right now there's a big um, debate as to whether or not that includes transgender people or just gender identity on a broader scale. Um, And it's, it's interesting to see that New Zealand looked at that and said, Oh yeah, yeah, no trouble there. But we have, um, you said that it was um, the marriage equality was, Generally, popularly uh, supported. Did it? Did it go through? Did it go through government uh, fairly easily? Because in the United States, we have a lot of uh, issues where there is a broad consensus, like seventy, eighty percent, and that still doesn't really move move much in uh, Congress. So um, the the bills go usually go through. Uh, I believe it's a three step process. So it has a first reading, a second reading, and a third reading. The third reading is usually um, pretty informal. If something's got through the second reading, um, the third reading is usually just 
ratifying it so that it can go out there. Um, so the I believe the first reading was the most controversial. They have submissions prior to that as well. So I had a lot of um, very passionate people on both sides of the marriage equality debate going in and, and pleading their case as to why or why not marriage equality should go through. Um, and there was a bit of stir about that in the media. But yeah, once again, it was generally positive. The, um, there was a march on parliament um, that I was involved with uh, and there were thousands of people there. It was probably one of the biggest marches I've ever attended in um, our capital. And they, it, it was really curious. The people who were on the other side who were basically protesting it were largely uh, immigrant families. Um, and I found that so bizarre that these people had come to New Zealand and then had decided that they didn't want other minorities to have equality. I found that very strange. That is, that is strange, but it's... Um... Just hearing you talk about the the fact that your country was able to get this done, it's it's honestly it's it's a sad state for the American affairs that I can sit there and go, wow, look, there's a functioning government, like it's <laughs> it's a marvel. Because um, even I mean, even uh, in a past episode we did uh, talking about how even the members of Congress who support transgender rights and they um when we had uh transgender day of visibility you had all of these democrats who had uh their transgender flags out and it became kind of a joke because none of them they all looked like they had just been taken out of the packaging they hadn't there was all the creases and stuff that's right that they hadn't been ironed yet yeah <laughs> yeah and um with a lot of the congress people i was commenting on their on their tweets and i said look you have committee power. Um, I was trying to uh, move the needle on the, the transgender military ban, and I was saying, why can't you bring the Pentagon up? These gender dysphoria, um, the rationale that they use to ban transgender people is ridiculous. Uh, why don't you come and call them out on it? Or why don't you bring them here? You can. You can subpoena them. There's oversight power. And, oh, I didn't hear anything. It's like, oh, transgender day of visibility over. Let's, you know, go yeah, back to... Let's forget about it. <laughs> Yeah, it's um see I find it really I find it really strange the whole transgender ban in the military because it just means you're going to have a lot of closeted trans people who have worse mental health issues than if they did transition in the military and you can't detect who's a closeted trans person so if you're worried about your soldiers being not fully functional you've you've created the opposite problem it's ridiculous. Right and um just just from a cost, uh, the, even um, when Trump was in the UK, uh, oh Piers Morgan of all people, yeah, Piers, Piers Morgan of all people was questioning him on it. And he said, look, the cost, and Trump said, oh, this is a cost thing. And Piers Morgan says, no, it's, it's minuscule. There's, they spend about 80 million a year on Viagra. Oh my God. Which is not essential. <laughs> yeah. Um, Good for morale. Though. And <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, well, I, I think one of the uh, there's still a lot of deep seated uh, resentment toward uh, we had this thing called don't ask, don't tell yeah. for years and years. Yeah. And, and it was only recently repealed. And even people who are uh, uh, somewhat revered on both aisles, like Senator John McCain, who just passed, uh, he he to his to his grave was was still saying, oh, we 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 need don't ask, don't tell. And it's it's ridiculous to kind of see that. But all of the um, 
all of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the head of like the Army, the Navy, they were brought to testify and they were asked about the transmilitary ban. And they said, oh, nope. Anybody who's able to meet our requirements are uh, good to go. But apparently not. It's it's uh, definitely a, a bummer. Um, I know New Zealand doesn't really have much of a, a military, but they don't ban transgender people, do they? No, um, I was actually in the military and the New Zealand Army for six years. And I believe... Uh, Maybe five years after I left, the first trans woman was in the New Zealand Army, an officer transitioned, uh, and was fairly well protected, as I understand things. So, yeah, there's no there's no rule against it. Uh, when I was serving, uh, there was no ban on uh, gay soldiers. I knew one guy who was openly gay. Um, he, he did get a lot of grief for it, but it wasn't like he could be kicked out of the Army for being homosexual. So... Yeah, I don't I've I've never really personally understood the the sentiment of of really being uh, homophobic about military people. Uh, a lot of the gay men I know are are very into their own personal physique. So I look at them and I say, you know, why would you not want that person serving if they're <laughs> able to the man's muscular so, Yeah. Um yeah, it it with um the the mention of of healthcare made me uh, think about um, another thing, another topic that I wanted to ask you about, which was um, just just the general state of of healthcare for trans people in New Zealand. So that's that's one of the areas where we're not great. Um, we uh, we have a district health board system because we have a public health system in New Zealand, unlike uh, the US. Ours is very similar to the NHS in the UK. Um, and each district health board, unfortunately, has its own ideas on how to best serve uh, trans patients. So you'll get um, all, all DHBs subsidise hormones, and that's just something that's sort of been passed through them all. But referrals and endocrine appointments and anything to do with transitional care is sort of at the discretion of each DHB. And I know personally from having spoken to some of the people who work in the DHBs that there have been times when DHBs have said, we need to save money, what if we stopped giving trans people hormones and stuff because that'll be a saving. Fortunately, very rational people turned around and said, well, subsidizing hormones is, is a tiny amount of our funding, so it's not going to make any difference. So why would we you know, make people miserable for no reason? Well, yeah, not not to mention uh, once you're on hormones, it's uh, not really a viable option to just get off. Like you, I if I had uh, if I didn't have my hormones for three days, I'd be a total mess. Uh, and I mean, I've um, had surgery. Uh, I went to Thailand in 2010, so I I literally need these hormones to function, or I'm going to get osteoporosis. Yeah. So you're going to be harming people, and that goes directly against what medicine's about. Well, not to mention, I mean, if you have a if you have a system that covers your health care and they take you off your hormones and you get osteoporosis, then you go to the hospital and that's going to be a hell of a lot more expensive. I oh, mean, yeah. I just know from experience. Yeah, I know from experience that. Um, so we have I have private insurance here and uh, my hormones are, are, are very inexpensive, which uh, sort of breaks my heart when you hear about the uh, people who don't have health care are being charged out 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 the wazoo for um these little pills that are so cheap to make and to think that somebody 
I mean, I, it, it makes sense from like a, a bigoted perspective that when uh, somebody's looking to cut costs, they're just sort of going for people they don't like. But you're right. These these don't make up any any segment, uh, any sizable uh, percentage of anyone's budget. It's totally ridiculous. And I also just imagine that there's not a ton of I mean, we only have about a million, little over a million people who identify as trans in the U.S. I imagine you the people in new zealand make up a, a the trans people make up a similar very small minuscule percentage yeah i think it's about thirty thousand uh new zealanders or some some approximate number around that it's 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 not that big um and um the other thing i meant to mention before is we used to have a surgeon who performed uh lower surgery for trans women um but he retired in 2014 so we haven't had anyone all that time and our waiting list uh, is now 50 years for surgery because we have something called the High Cost Treatment Fund, which sends a certain number of trans people overseas for surgeries to uh, Belgium for trans guys and Thailand for trans women. But um, they haven't been performing these surgeries, so um, the waiting list is just getting bigger and bigger. The good news is, is apparently we've recently recruited a surgeon in Waikato, my um, birthplace, uh, who can perform um, lower surgery for trans women. So that's going to kick off in the next couple of years. So we should be able to start getting rid of some of that 50-year backlog. So. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. I know, um, I mean, there aren't drastically more surgeons in the U.S. who perform than, you know, the single one in New Zealand who retired. But um, ob- obviously, you know, 10 or 15 is a, a lot more than that, and that would go wonders. But I, the only the only uh, surgeon I know who has anywhere like uh, anywhere near a uh, ridiculously long wait list is about uh, I know one who has about a four year wait list, and that's just because she's uh, incredibly popular. Right. So, 50 years. Wow. <laughs> that's um. I'm actually so I'm scheduled to have my bottom surgery in October, so that's coming up fairly soon. Oh, congratulations! Uh, that was only scheduled. Thank you. That was um, we only scheduled that in April. So, um, and thankfully, thanks to a lot of the um, the the one reason that legislation has really become the the rallying cry for me is because our our one piece of transgender protection that Trump can't take away comes from well, he's tried to. But um, within the Affordable Care Act, which was passed, I, I guess, I think in around 2010, uh, gender dysphoria or whatever the term they used for it back then um, was, I think it's actually in the uh, writing as transsexualism, but that's uh, not really one that is uh, used all that often anymore. But uh, that's protected as a pre-existing condition. So my hormones um, and uh, the surgery will at least be uh Partially, insurance can't say we're not covering any of this at all. We actually, I had a minor victory for a while. My insurance wasn't covering the required uh, bottom electrolysis that right. you need. And we had to, yeah, we had to say to them, look, this isn't just like, you know, this isn't just like a, a, a tertiary like expenditure. This is, you, you literally cannot have the surgery without yeah. this. So... It doesn't make sense. And, uh, they actually, they caved on that, which was, uh, remarkable. And in a, in a time span that, in an era that we're at where the, the Trump administration is trying to do everything they can 
to uh, especially really within uh, schools and stuff to um, keep these trans kids in the closet. It's, it's nice to see that uh, at least on a broader scale, they are some things they can't touch. <laughs> but um, that uh, that 50, uh, that's 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 uh, ridiculous. And one thing that I was really interested in uh, reading about New Zealand uh, history with transgender people is that. Uh, the Maori, uh, your indigenous people, have had uh, variations of um, gender fluid or trans people for um, really all of their all of their history. The, the 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 English settlers who came to New Zealand discovered that, and um, it was interesting to see that uh, really the 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 hostility towards transgender people was kind of as a result of. Um, their arrival, which is something that um, uh, Michel Foucault writes a lot about in terms of uh, how the Victorian era was really the start of a lot of uh, criminalization of homo of uh, homosexuality and you know being transgender and that kind of stuff. Yeah, all that Western um, Judeo Christian stuff that's filtered through about being prudish about bodies and sexuality and stuff. Um, the, yeah, the first settlers who came to New Zealand, um, discovered that there were, um, or the first European settlers, I should say, discovered that there were, um, Maori people who presented differently. They're the whakawahine, who are essentially trans women, and the umbrella term for generally Maori queer people is takutapui, um, and that encompasses pretty much any gender presentation and sexual orientation. It's sort of a catch-all, but like queer. Um, and what's also really interesting is our two probably most famous trans heroes in New Zealand are Carmen Roop and Georgina Bayer, who are both Māori. So we've got a very long history of, of transness in New Zealand that predates colonialism by a long time. And that's always, I always love hearing about uh, other cultures that uh, have had transgender people and and gender fluid people all of their uh for their you know within their culture for long before we arrive because uh one thing that i see from a lot of these quote-unquote gender critical people is uh, a lot of them will literally look at uh caitlin jenner coming out as as the birth of of modern trans people and it's like no you idiot there you can find you go to any country you want it has nothing to do with tumblr it has nothing to do with twitter it has nothing to do with social media, go to any culture you want and you will find people like us. They're everywhere. Yeah. What, you mean it's not a social contagion that has been brought about by, yeah, Tumblr or Twitter? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> rapid rap, rapid onset gender dysphoria. Oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just ridiculous. And uh, I really like the attitude that um, you bring to uh, your online presence because um, – you know, these, uh, the one thing that I've been just seeing a lot lately from these, uh, people is, is they, they want to, especially the, uh, the British swimmer, Sharon Davis, who has really been making a fool of herself lately. Yeah. Um, she, she likes to talk about, um, the differences between sex and gender. And I mean, if you want to follow that rabbit hole, uh, you know, have fun with that. But the, the reality of the situation is, um, you know, for trans for trans people who who transition, you you can have a uh, driver's license, a birth certificate that has your correct gender, and there's nothing they can do to 
they, that's, you know, tough shit for them. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, us Kiwis, we're, we're pretty down to earth people and, um, it's the whole, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, then it, you might as well call it a duck. Um, functionally and socially, uh, I'm a woman, uh, people treat me like a woman wherever I go. So there's no reason why not to treat me like a woman. Yeah, it's it's you know this um this ever uh looming uh debate as they as they want to call it it's 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 kind of past its expiration date because a lot of us have uh a lot of us have our rights that aren't you know there's they 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 speak as if there's going to be this uh we're going to wake up one day peak and trans. everybody yeah yeah exact peak trends uh that you know people are going to and and the same thing was happening um, in America. We had it. I'm sure you guys experienced this too with the the gay marriage debate, where they would say, "Well, if we let if we let uh, gay people marry, then somebody's going to want to marry their goat, or this kind of you know they're going to want to enter a you know relationship with ten other people." And it's like, okay, well, um, I, sometimes I tweet about this. I'm saying, I you know you you take one of their clips uh, from cable news and you say. Have we have we experienced this phenomenon of an uptick of people wanting to marry? Did did that happen? And it, it it's it's the 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 rapid fire of these uh, cable news segments and all of that. Um, there's really no room for follow up, and it's important. It's important to note. It sounds stupid. It's it is funny, but it's it it's important to note that there aren't people trying to marry their goats now, and that <laughs> that the fact that we let gay people marry didn't have that effect. Yeah. People were so concerned about it. I mean, in New Zealand, we had the homosexual law reform in 1986, um, and it was intended to decriminalize uh, homosexual relationships because up until that point, um, it was a criminal offense. Um, and when the bill was presented, uh, I believe it was uh, Fran Wilde was uh, the, the woman who was in, in the front face of it. Um, she presented this and there was a great debate in New Zealand public. And one of my friends said that she remembers being in Catholic school and the petition being handed around to the girls in their class to sign. They were like eight or nine years old. And the teachers telling them that if this, if the homosexual law reform went through, little boys would be being raped in the streets by homosexuals. Then that's what would happen from the bill. Well, that's, uh, Horrifying, even before you consider the Catholic Church's particular history on oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that 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 subject. Um, and I, I, I even to this day, I mean, people like to refer to uh, Pope Francis as this, um, you know, great moderate or great reformer. And it's on gender identity, he's absolutely terrible. Oh yeah, he's but, called um, out nuclear weapons, basically, which is kind of awesome, actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, my my. I have a lot of, uh, I've had a few, um, priests in my family. My grandfather is a deacon. He's a papal knight. He is, uh, the Catholic history just flows through his veins and he gets so angry when they do this anti, uh, he's thought it's, it's, it's ridiculous. The man's, uh, my grandfather is almost 80 and he would just love for them to back the hell off this subject in his lifetime. And I, I, you know, for he was out. For he is without sin, cast the first stone. You look at that and you're like, okay, well, you guys don't um, practice what you preach. Do you, does, um, in New Zealand, do you have, um, 
the the sort of uh, version of uh, what we would call like an evangelical who is not necessarily Catholic, but um, very the the religious right is another term of what we call it. The very far right people who are uh, influencing a lot of our politics. Um, we New Zealand's a secular country, first off. So I think uh, the last census, it was something like forty uh, percent of uh, our population doesn't believe in any kind of um, higher power at all, and the rest uh, split. Um, the biggest proportion being Christian, and the rest split between various other religions. So we are a secular country. I don't believe our um, founding documents uh, have any reference to religion whatsoever um and so the church is not a big part of new zealand everyday life um we do have a few religious leaders here probably the most famous is uh brian tamaki he's um a pastor from uh, the far north island and he runs a church called destiny church who famously marched against um what was it uh the it was one of the um, important bills to, to, with regard to uh, LGBT rights in New Zealand, and he basically marched with a little gang of his um, uh, parishioners to protest, and it was kind of terrifying. They're kind of dressed up like Nazis, so that was that was not cool. Um, he's really the only agitator on that front. We did have a Christian political party here called, oh gosh, um, can't even remember their name, but they were headed by a guy called Colin Craig, who ended up being embroiled in a big uh, legal case with uh, his press secretary about sexually harassing her. So uh, he's gone down like a lead balloon in um, conservative politics in New Zealand. Good riddance to yeah. him. Um, it, it, it's also interesting to hear, uh, because I, I did a semester abroad at uh, Monash in, um, in Melbourne, in New Zealand. Uh, not in Australia. Um, and... They they didn't decriminalize homosexuality. I think they did it in my lifetime, which is uh, ridiculous to think about. But um, they're still having a lot of these very uh, heated debates, and um, it's 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 interesting to see New Zealand take a, a much tamer approach. I I heard a lot of the uh, comparisons while I was there that the relationship between Australia and New Zealand is uh, a bit like what we have with Canada, yeah. and Canada is a lot more politically mild. Um, I'm part Canadian, so I find that I, I would I would love it if I could just go live up there and not have to deal with uh, a lot of this crap. Even even in California, we have some uh, uh, issues with LGBTQ acceptance, but um, it, it's just it's 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 ridiculous, um, and it's 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 fascinating to hear that. You know, I, I it's not surprising that New Zealand uh, takes a very uh, tame attitude to this, but. When you take out a lot of the loud voices that you would see from uh, the media people trying to make a quick buck or the religious people trying to, again, probably make money, they uh, use this as a rallying cry. Um, with, with both of those presences, uh, with both of those uh, organizations not having much of a presence, um, your political climate seems a, a hell of a lot better, for all, all the better for yeah, it. Yeah, we've got some agitators here. Uh, the uh, UK... Turfism has infiltrated New Zealand. Funnily enough, uh, I believe the the head of um, one of their or their only organisation in New Zealand is actually she's British, and her offsider is originally British, moved to New Zealand when she was quite young. So we've, we've got that influence coming in here. But I mean, 
New Zealanders are pretty no-nonsense people and they can see through the the very thin smoke screen that these people put up that they're trying to advocate for women's rights. You can just just have a look at their, their Twitter feeds and their Facebook groups and it's just screeds of hate, screeds of obsessive hate day after day and you only need to read a few pages of that before you can tell what's up. Yeah, and I, I like the the idea of the the no nonsense, which uh, really contrasts to. Uh, are you familiar with just the concept of like uh, both sideism? Yeah. Which um, so, and actually, I was interested when we did our when we did our UK episode on this. I learned that uh, a lot of the a lot of the news stations that that feature these televised uh, circus acts um, are are legally required to have to present a point of view from, from that angle. Like if they were to cover uh, transgender people in sports, they would be legally required to have not only an advocate for, but an advocate against. And you look at these people who show up to protest with, with 10 people and they get to have 50% of the platform. And you look at that and a sensible person could say, okay, one of these views is ridiculous but they're just required to to weirdly play it down the middle in a way that gives uh, the the side that is very marginalized and uh uh and I, a person could look at these people i mean the 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 one the one that just gets my uh gets me laughing hysterically is the the concept of uh, lesbian erasure <laughs> yeah which is it's like a it's like a thanos style uh, snap from uh, avengers yeah. it's um and i i know that you're um you're a heterosexual. You're married to yeah. a man. I am uh, in a relationship with a cisgender woman, but uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm bis- bisexual or pan, or I don't really define that much. But um, you get these people who come. I know they've they've uh, uh, thrown accusations at you. They do it at me about like this lesbian erasure. I'm like, look, I I don't really I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not. I, I'm not exclusively attracted to women. I'm not going around calling myself. You're like there, there's this there's this desire to to um, use to use transgender people as a as a foil to hurl their abuse at. And you're looking. You're not even making sense. Like I said to them, I'm like I'm not even a lesbian. Yeah. Like what are you coming at me at? doing this nonsense about i mean i get people um yeah come at me and say oh look it's another man who thinks he's a lesbian. I'm like. Oof. But first off, I'm not interested in women in the slightest. And people will call me an autogynophile, you know, that that old chestnut. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, and oh, and yeah. I'm like, um, I don't find anything about women um, arousing in the slightest. So that definition is is completely inaccurate. You, you can't use that for me. Um, <laughs> and so I, I think it's, I mentioned this in my um, recent press article that it's, it's a frustrating thing for them that they can't use this um, very narrow focused weapon against me that they use against other trans women, that they attack you for being lesbian and attack you for being an autogynophile. And so I think it's important that other trans women like me speak up as well. Well, and, and it just goes to show you that um, they often say, Oh, I, I want a, uh, a, a debate and they don't want a debate because you're, they're trying to to force you into a position that doesn't accurately describe you, and they get all frustrated and bent out of shape when um, reality hits, and they can't, you know, build you up as a as a straw woman against um, just just to, to serve their point. And uh, 
I, I, I've I've thought about doing an episode on autogynephilia. I think it's important because um so that people know what it is. <laughs> yeah, and and I mean Ray Blanchard is an idiot. Um he goes around his new thing. He was he did an article last year on uh the relationship between uh anime and autogynephilia. And I'm like, look, <laughs> you know, I did I didn't become trans I didn't I, I I'm not trans because I watched Dragon Ball Z as a child. Oh my god, I watched uh <sighs> Swan and, Lake when I was a kid, the ballet, and that's one of my first trans moments. Are we going to say that Tchaikovsky makes kids trans now? <laughs> yeah, well, there was, um, there was a, you've probably seen it. It was going around uh, a lot the past couple of days, but uh, somebody threw out the idea that vaccines oh, God, yes, cause I saw that. Uh, gender dysphoria. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and you're just sitting there like, yeah, it's, it's like, okay, wait, what is it? And, Auto guy, oh, there you could just go through all oh, of yeah. the nonsense um, with auto gynophilia. Back on what you're saying about the the debating thing, as here's another, I guess, little pearl of of Kiwi wisdom is that the only thing that debating online proves is that you're good at debating. It doesn't mean that you're right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I debated, I was on the debate team in high school. I've debated at Yale. I, I like debating and I actually, as a sport, debating is fun because, um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, are you familiar with the show? Whose line is yeah. it anyway? Yeah. It's kind of like you're, you don't get to pick what side you're, you're given, right. you're given the category, you're given the topic and you say, go out and do it. And it, it's not about being right. It's about making a cohesive argument yeah. and i mean one way of of like defusing these people that someone suggested to me is like right if you want to debate first debate from my point of view you have to debate from the negative side of the argument so first before i debate you you're going to defend trans rights and once you've done that you can give me your piece on anti-trans stuff so go for it yeah and they're just not uh, not interested um, i mean i no, and and with whenever I've encountered the people who just they have this just weird love of autogynephilia <laughs> too. They want to throw the 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 Ray Blanchard study. And it's like okay, I can find you uh, a bunch of peer reviewed studies from the same website you're citing with this about stuff debunking it uh. and saying you know this is um, nonsense and or, or or just a simpler one. Well, if autogynephilia is the predominant driver behind you know, they love the word transgenderism, which is like the, the, it makes it sound like somebody is just like bitten by a radioactive <laughs> transgender, transgender spider. And it's yeah. like, okay, if, if you want autogynephilia to be this thing, what about trans men? Beep, nothing. Yeah. I, I believe he like started on a theory about them and then decided that they were too hard. Well, Blanchard, um, Paul Mc, Dr. Paul McHugh in, uh, from Johns Hopkins, who's another discredited crackpot, and uh, Kenneth Zucker. Um, oh, yeah. They all kind of have this religious bent, and it's hard to take any kind of uh, study from that perspective seriously because, um, like, it, God is not a scientific uh, deity. It's, it's, not, it's the ultimate, you know, unknown. There's, yeah. you can't, he, there's no place for God in science. It's just not, um, it, uh, except to maybe possibly explain the unknown. So if they're going to, if they're going to approach that from a God really, of the gaps, yeah. 
Yeah, and it's it's a it's a really a homophobic argument too, because just autogynephilia as a concept is rooted in a way of trying to explain homosexuality in a lot of ways. It's bizarre. Didn't uh, one of them basically um, go around gay bars and viewing drag queens as part of his research? Yeah, and um, well, that, I mean, that's kind of another. Uh, you get. Um, especially with the British uh, people who are trying to go after Stonewall's uh, UK's acceptance of um, trans-inclusive policies. And they say, you're betraying your mission. And I, I, I say to them, let's get one thing clear. And I, I backed up somebody from Stonewall's name. I'm forgetting, but I, it's like, let's get one thing clear. Stonewall as an organization gets its name from the Stonewall movement in the United States, which was led by transgender women of color. And then sometimes they respond with like, no, Marsha Johnson and Sylvia Rivera were transvestites. They weren't transgender people, which transgender as a as a term, as as a um as a term that people use is relatively new related to those. And it's like if you read anything about those people, they uh you know, there are uh there are ancestors. They're they're not not trans, it's ridiculous. And I like to remind people that prior to Stonewall were the Compton Cafeteria riots, which predated Stonewall by about three or four years. That was predominantly trans people, trans women who got sick of not being able to get service in a particular cafeteria and the cops turning up and harassing them. So they rioted. It was the riot that predated Stonewall. It failed, unfortunately, probably because they didn't have the support that the, um, from the rest of the LGBT movement that Stonewall did because they weren't there. But yeah, we, we rioted first. Yeah, and it's also, it's also just reflective of the fact that um, a lot of these anti-trans activists like to sort of other us, but the, the reality of the situation is transgender women uh, face the same kind of misogyny that all women face. It's not... Um, you know, there, there's there are certain aspects that are unique to trans misogyny, but um, the the average person on the streets not going to be like, OK, um, I normally don't like women. Here's a transgender woman. I'm going to I'm going to switch switch out my uh, bigotry card and I'm going to play from a different side of the deck. It's just yeah. you have to really tie <laughs> yourself in knots to get to, to make a lot of these uh, cases. But I mean, it doesn't stop them from trying. Um, I had briefly mentioned uh, sport, and then we uh, I we were talking about debate. So we, uh, but I don't want to because uh, it's such a lightning rod of a topic now. Just the yeah. um, notion of uh, does New Zealand um, have a big issue with transgender people in sports? Um, we've only really got one trans woman who's competed at any high level that's Laurel Hubbard um, who is a weightlifter uh, I don't know that much about the sport of weightlifting uh, I believe she lost the most recent competition that she was involved in to a cis woman so uh, once again proving that you know we're not superior to cis women there's this idea that Laurel should be able to waltz in and, and just absolutely demolished the records by like hundreds of kilograms, but she hasn't. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, and, and we experience this a lot in the U S and, uh, the UK also, uh, covers it a lot. The media, um, the, you, there's no, there's no news stories when a transgender woman loses a sport, but, um, oh, yeah. they, they, they finish second, they finish first. And all of a sudden Armageddon is coming. And, um, 
with regard to the um, Olympic guidelines, which have existed, uh, the first transgender inclusive policies were came in in 2003, and uh, they've had a couple updates since. But in all of that time, we haven't had uh, a single transgender Olympian. And I keep hearing that uh, trans women are, are ruining sport. They're going to take over sport. And I don't know when it's going to happen. I mean, I played, before I transitioned, I played college water polo. I wasn't great. I was pretty good. Um, I, I would, un- you should see me in a pool now. It's a disaster. <laughs> um, I was a champion sprinter at school. I used to represent my school in the 100 and 200 meters. And um, I a few years ago, I decided to have a crack at the uh, 100 meters. And oh my God, I am shit now. Um, seriously. I mean, I'm sure I could build back up and um, lose some weight and try and get back into it. Um, the, unfortunately, the reality is is that you don't really get people, women competing in the 100 and 200 metres in the Masters class, which I'm in now. But um, even if I did long distance, I'm sure I'd get destroyed. Um, I just... <laughs> there, there's just so much happens to your body, especially with me. It's been 12 years I've been on hormones and I've been post-op for nine years. Um, my body's changed so much. Yeah, and and just... Um, I mean, all all... All people, man, woman, non-binary, otherwise, have to some extent uh, a, a certain amount of, of natural uh, testosterone in their bodies, and the same for estrogen. And with male and male and females, you've got, um, you know, the levels are obviously uh, different. But transgender people are not excluded from that. And yeah. you, you know, your body, the whole point of transition, your body changes. And... Like, it's just not rocket science. And these people are, like, yeah, a person who's who's been on HRT for years does not have, like, this inherent, you know, the the, the term they use, like, the quote-unquote male build. It's like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's like, it, it, bone density and that kind of nonsense. And it's, uh, it's ridiculous. I mean, if you want to look at it from, like, purely scientific viewpoint, so I'm producing... I don't produce any natural testosterone except from what I get from my adrenal glands. And it's right. It's virtually undetectable. Uh, whenever I go in and get my levels checked, um, it, it says less than zero, which means uh, undetectable. Um, but apparently I've got this larger skeleton, which because of my zero testosterone means I'm moving around with less muscle mass than a cis woman. So I'm weaker and moving around a heavier skeleton, surely that equals quite a disadvantage? Yeah, I would... Um, and it's not like anybody needs to take your word for it either, because <laughs> the truth of the matter is, we're not taking over sports. And a no, rational, I... rational person, uh, the no-nonsense people that you would find in uh, your lovely country, uh, could see that, but we have here uh, right-wing media who... Just love, love the, the, um, they love creating a moral panic. Yeah. And the, 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 it's, it's a really, uh, a sad story. We have, um, in Texas, there's a, uh, transgender male wrestler named Mac Beggs, who's in high school, who, um, one of my friends actually just did a documentary centered on him and two other trans, young trans athletes, which hopefully I'm supposed to go to the, they're having a premiere for it in LA in a couple of weeks. And oh, awesome. hopefully that, 
yeah, it, uh, I think it's the documentary, I think it's called changing the game. Um, the, the sad situation with, with, um, Mac is that he is being right now just by the, the policies of the local school board, they're forcing him to compete with the, in the, the girls division, even though he's been on testosterone quite strong and he's a, he's a, a good wrestler and the result is there have been a couple of these competitions where uh, he's he's won and everybody's creating this big stink about it. And there are all this moral outrage on the right. And I'm looking at it being like, well, the, the, there's a really easy solution here. He wants yeah. to wrestle with the boys. Why don't you just let, let him, him do it? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I've, I've had people come at me online and, and say, trans women shouldn't be allowed in sports. Look at this one, Mac Beggs. I'm like, you do realize you're, you've got this all wrong. That's not a trans woman. That's a trans man. And yes, he would love to wrestle with the guys, but they won't let him. Yeah. It's, it's absurd. And, uh, I, I would love, um, I I've played in, uh, masters water polo leagues before, uh, before I transitioned. And, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the women who play in those kind of leagues, uh, were very good to begin with and they could beat me before I transitioned. And I'm like, look, you want to you like a demo of how I would do uh, in a all female water polo league? You know, I'll get myself. Especially now, I was on the East Coast where water polo wasn't um, uh, isn't as popular, and it's like, okay, you, you know, you really want to take a look at this. It's just, oof. It's 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 good to hear that um, New Zealand doesn't have uh, a lot of these uh, nonsense issues. Which isn't to say that uh, the state of transgender rights over there is is perfect, but. Um, you guys really don't seem to. If if the biggest pop, if, if if the biggest problem from what I'm uh, detecting from talking to you, it seems to be that just just a result of uh, the fact your population is small, your uh, uh, the medical field is not really big enough to accommodate the the need for transgender patients. Um, we've got a couple of other minor issues on top of the healthcare ones. Um, one is uh-huh. the the. The uh, legal documents issue. We um, currently the state of affairs is you can change your driver's license or your passport with a statutory declaration, but to change your birth certificate, you have to go through the family court, which is quite a process, and there's a bit of money involved because you usually have to hire a lawyer because most people don't understand the legal system well enough to present their their case and their documents. I, I hired a lawyer to get mine changed. Um, so there was a bill put through recently to. Um, streamline the process for birth certificates. So essentially it's the same as passports. So it's a statutory declaration uh, in front of a justice of the peace or um, official and then you can get your birth certificate uh, gender marker changed. Uh, and I made it to, it was almost about to go through its second reading, but the uh, member of parliament in charge of the bill, Tracy Martin, went over to the UK and got pressured by um, turf groups to essentially drop the bill. And we had uh, a local group of women who pressured her to drop the bill as well. And there was literally a handful of them. And that was all that it took for the bill to be suspended indefinitely. So does New Zealand have, have self-ID or there, there is a, a process involved beyond so, that? So technically it is self-ID. So if, okay. if I... If I was still had mail on my passport and I wanted a new passport with female on it, I could rock into Department of Internal Affairs and I could say, 
here is my statutory declaration that says that I definitely believe I'm female and I hold that identity and here is uh, the sign-up from the Justice of the Peace. Um, give me my document, it would happen. So that's the process and it's the same for driver's license. So it is self-ID. It's you declare that you are female with uh, a signature from an official and that's it. So that that kind of shows the difference. So in, in the U.S., I can change uh you can change driver's license in uh california just recently adopted self-id in fact i think that literally went into place a couple months ago but um for passports and stuff which would be at the federal level there's still a lot of the uh gatekeeping at play uh it's a much more complicated process and efforts to streamline that have been uh stonewalled to by the religious groups but um i actually probably could have gotten uh this uh surgery without um therapy notes but just from a uh insurance perspective uh, that was their uh g- guidelines to cover it so uh right. it made a lot of financial sense to go through the old system but uh it it's frustrating to see the um it looks like the with the with the state of what's happening in in the uk uh they similarly, I thought self-ID was supposed to go through last year, and it looks like that got torpedoed. And with Boris Johnson uh, set to come in, uh, that looks like a bit of a disaster. Yeah, that's not going to happen anytime soon, unfortunately. Um, it just, it disturbs me that these niche groups of peoples are so laser-focused on on trans people, on us. Um, I mean... We are literally just people trying to get by in our lives. Um, we don't want to take over sports. We don't want to invade bathrooms. We don't want to take away women's rights. We literally just want to exist. Yeah, it's um, they seem to be uh, set in this mindset of, of trans people wanting, uh, quote-unquote, extra rights. And it's like, no, no, that's really just... Uh, it shouldn't be... It shouldn't be so like my uh, my birth certificate hasn't been changed. And that's really just from a practical standpoint of I was born in Maryland, which is on the other side of the country. Um, I would have to go appear in a, a Maryland court and I haven't been into Maryland in probably 10 years. And I don't really uh, they have good uh, they have good. Uh, they're only really known for their crabs there. but It's, <laughs> it's kind of a dumpy, dumpy state. Um, I don't really want to go back. And uh it's frustrating that that can't be uh, a little more streamlined. I, I did read, um, I had one question. Uh, I read that, um, is it still the case in New Zealand that you are, are required to have surgery before your, um, uh, some of those uh, gender markers could be changed, or did they do away with that? Um, they did away with that. I think around 2008 there was the michael case uh so it was a trans guy michael not being his real name obviously he argued his case that lower surgery i.e a phalloplasty or a metoid would be um he, he basically proved that it's really onerous and it probably wouldn't give him the the results he desired and that that top surgery was sufficient um so the michael case basically set a precedent that you don't need lower surgery which is good because, I mean... I mean, some um, people can't have lower surgery. I know a trans woman in New Zealand who's a hemophiliac and no no surgeon will touch her. She can never have surgery, so she's fucked. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of people um, 
like for example my surgery they need to graft some skin from my uh tush because uh this just hrt not to not to get graphic but um the uh there's not enough material. hrt has in- <laughs> yeah exactly um and and for a lot of other people that's that's a much more serious problem and for trans men um you know the surgery it's kind of a trade-off because um Trans men don't really need FFS. Testosterone is such a... I mean, testosterone forms the basis of basically every steroid that, like, uh, particularly baseball players would use. Yeah. Like, uh, hum- human growth hormone, all of that. Pa- testosterone is a powerful drug. Um, they don't... Trans men tend not to need FFS, and they, uh, you know, pass a lot easier than we do in a lot of instances. Yeah. But um, the bottom surgeries for trans men, the science... Uh, it's not great. <laughs> No. And uh one other thing that I uh learned in our uh in my discussion on the the state of transgender rights in the UK would be and I, I find this uh interesting as somebody I kept my birth name just out of habit. I, I didn't want to change it, didn't experience dysphoria about my name. I just didn't care. It was kind of a fuck you to the system. <laughs> um But in England that would apparently be kind of a problem in some instances. Interesting. And I, yeah. And I, it's like, because I, you know, you have a driver's license, Ian Thomas Malone, F. Like, it's not, it's not, people don't, you know, jaws don't drop and the world doesn't end. But to, to see that as kind of a roadblock, it's a very, um, it's nice to see that there are, um, some of the roadblocks for gatekeeping are removed in New Zealand. And yet, you know, there's obviously, uh, some other problems still in play, but yeah. Um, One of the other things I wanted to mention was that um, trans people aren't actually explicitly protected by the Human Rights Act in New Zealand. Gender identity is not a category, but sexual orientation is. But um, according to a Crown Law opinion, um, we are supposedly covered by the sex category. Uh, the the right. problem being that should my employer discriminate against me, for example, uh, and I had to take them to court, um, I'd first have to prove it was sex discrimination before I could proceed with the case that me being trans and them discriminating against me was covered under the sex discrimination category, which shouldn't be too hard, but it would be great to have that barrier removed and just have gender identity in there straight up so that it's a certainty. Which it would have been nice to have seen that um, included because uh, with with New Zealand's history with the Maori, you could have uh, looked at that and said, okay, you know, these people were doing great before we came along and criminalized some stuff. Um, gender identity on this island or those islands uh, isn't isn't much of an much of an issue. Why don't we just include this? But I mean, we're talking uh, that that law in particular was passed a while ago, wasn't yeah. it? Um, and it's, it's actually the whole, um, general Pacific region has a lot of third gender, um, and, and queer history, um, that predates colonialism and Christianity, like the Fafafine are, a, um, third gender, the Fakaleti are a third gender, uh, and I'm sure there's a couple more that I can't remember the names of, but all throughout the Pacific Islands, you've got this history of, of gender diversity, um, that's just, uh, it's it's been considered almost like a joke since colonialism turned out, and it was a very serious thing before that. Yeah, and even in America, the um, 
our indigenous, the American Indians, Native American, yeah, the preferred term for that actually differs from a uh, tribe to tribe, which is um, something that I guess a lot of people uh, in the media don't understand. But they also don't understand that that the two spirit or third gender people are uh, alive and well, uh, right, right on the homeland, and yet people pontificate on fox news all the time uh do you guys get fox news by the way uh i i don't know if we do i wouldn't watch it if we did (laughs) somebody uh, i was flicking once on the uh common room tv in australia and it came on and i was like oh god this is uh didn't uh didn't didn't want to uh didn't need this in my day (laughs) no and they it's like yeah, I just wish they could, you know, you could spend two minutes on one of those channels because uh, our our president sits and watches that channel all day. And it's like, look, transgender people, you can find them anywhere. But um, it's it, it's utterly ridiculous. But um, I feel like Fox News is like they've they've taken the news and they've put this cartoonish, bigot, conservative filter over the top of it that distorts everything massively. Yeah, and I mean... That's not to say that uh, sort of mainstream media or liberal media, as they would call it, uh, as, as sort of the Fox people would call it, um, they get a lot of uh, things about transgender people wrong uh, in, a, in a, some of our upcoming episodes recorded over the next few weeks. We're going to try and dive into that because there is a lot of there's a lot of media institutionalized media discrimination against uh trans people you're probably aware of uh some of the articles that come out in places like the atlantic or um but uh it's certainly frustrating to see that they uh they can't uh when you're when you're just sitting there trying to uh look for some sports to watch and you find uh fox coming up when you're I thought I was uh, away from all of that stuff in Australia, but I, I actually, I really liked uh, uh, the sports there. Uh, you guys don't have Aussie rules football, but uh, New Zealand uh, rugby, I love to watch that. My dad's a big fan. Um, when I was in Queenstown, I got him a lot of uh, merchandise for the, the All Blacks. Oh, nice. And we like, uh, we, like ro- we like rooting for New Zealand a lot with that. Well, it, it's great to see he was a uh, rugby player throughout college. He's uh, still very involved. He was a captain of his uh, college rugby team, and he's still very involved with that. But it's nice to see a country like New Zealand uh, field such a competitive uh, team in that kind of sport, which is such a popular sport uh, worldwide. Uh, we've got this ongoing thing uh, about New Zealand being the best at lots of things per capita. We not, might not be the best at a particular thing, but we are per capita. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I mean, I, I, I love those kind of sports. I don't really, American football is uh, not, uh, I was actually, when I was, uh, before we were recording and I was doing some work and it was work that I didn't really have to give my 100% attention to and uh, baseball's on break this week and I was looking for, I was flicking through the sports channels and I ended up settling on archery, but I'm sitting there going, I really wish rugby was on. I would <laughs> watch that for a couple hours. Um, and as we uh, as we um, wrap up, I, I I like to kind of get a little more lighthearted in the last couple of minutes because uh, it's good to see somebody's uh, uh, hobbies beyond uh, this transgender uh, rights issue that still goes on. You look at Twitter, looking to just find some wholesome content, uh, looking, looking for people shit posting and you find uh, all this anti-trans stuff. And, uh, it's frustrating, but I really loved, um, 
I really love my visit to New Zealand. I did something that you probably hear a lot of. Uh, the way that I did all my sightseeing was via Lord of the Rings tours. All right. I wanted to. I uh, I did three of them. I got to see. I was up in Christchurch. Got to see the filming there, and uh, I figured it was a great way to uh, not kill two birds with one stone. I would uh, got to see a lot of the uh, country and. Gotcha. See, uh, I it, if I could travel around and just go to um, visit movie sets, I would totally do that. Even uh, in in where I live in Long Beach, uh, they film a fair amount, so that's kind of fun to look around and say, "Oh, they film this here and that." But uh, New Zealand is just such a beautiful country. Well, if you ever come back to New Zealand, I was an extra in Lord of the Rings, so I can take you to some stuff that probably isn't on any of the tour maps, especially in uh, Wairu, the Central Plateau in New Zealand. I, I found it really fascinating when I was there that um, when they were filming the original trilogy, the only sets that are really still around are the ones in Wellington. Yeah. Uh, because the the uh, government was really adamant about um, making sure that Peter Jackson and his crew cleaned up after themselves. Yeah. Which was uh, nice, but um, they're they're set to they're set to record uh, they're set to film the uh, Amazon has a Lord of the Rings series coming out. Um, oh, it's like a prequel, it, sort of. Is this, does it focus on yeah, Aragorn or something? I think. Well, I was under the impression that they, um, a lot of like the Similarian and the unfinished tales and stuff was still held by the estate, but I think they've got a lot of the rights to it. I, I guess Aragorn will be some of the focus. It's going to be some sort of long form. Uh, I know, at least in the media, Jeff Bezos has been screaming at his uh uh amazon studios people because they, they haven't really developed a, a big hit there's a couple amazon shows that have won awards but they don't captivate he wants a game of thrones right. in other words yeah and uh i guess uh well if you're trying to build a epic uh long form fantasy uh probably no place better than lord of the rings so they're doing wheel of time also which i'm excited for because I don't think uh, anyone really thought that an adaptation of that was ever going to come. Oh, God, that's going to be very, very interesting. That could either be quite good or really, really garbage. Um, this is the area that uh, you write about. Do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, the stories? You're, uh, you're an author, and you want to tell us a little bit about the stories you create? Yeah, I guess um, probably the thing I'm most famous for is something called uh, A Seaside British Pub, which was... Featured on the No Sleep podcast, uh, I, I wrote two parts to it, part one and a part two, um, and it's probably very Neil Gaiman-esque or Gaiman, however you you say his name, um, that it's not a yeah, <laughs> it's um, <laughs> very uh, modern world, but with a strong fantasy undercurrent, you know, things hidden just around the corner, um, a, a little, little bit of labyrinth, uh, uh, a little bit light in the witch in the wardrobe, but in a really dark, nasty way because um, horror is my home genre. So yeah, so that that's that's kind of stuff I write. I describe most of my writing as sort of modern Brothers Grimm tales, uh, usually quite dark, quite uh, bad endings, but often with like a little moral message in them. That's uh wow, that sounds fascinating. And um, I know at least from my own perspective, when I was younger, fantasy was a really great. Uh, uh, sorts of escapism when I was feeling sort of down about the world or all those years in the closet, you know, you open up those uh, 
really intricately crafted worlds and uh you find uh a sense of uh community or uh belonging in all of these uh places that are so unlike the these worlds and and uh your your work has uh, a lot of or includes transgender characters as well yeah um some of my works have trans characters a couple of my um I did a, a story for a Pride episode of No Seat Podcast that had a trans main character. It was the first trans protagonist on the podcast. Um, and just recently they had the, another Pride episode um, for this year and that had a trans character in it uh, who sort of lives a very unhappy dual existence. Um, but, you know, I write horror, so there's always going to be that horror element. Um, and I include queer characters in, in the majority of my work. It, it's basically just about a drinking game thing where uh, Caitlin Spice has written a, a story for the No Sleep podcast, Drink, if there's a queer character in it. Awesome. Well, uh, I'll definitely link to that when this episode goes up. That sounds uh, fascinating. And it's great to hear. I mean, there's always the the rallying cry for more inclusivity in narratives, but it's always great when um, trans people themselves are writing these characters because there's just that layer of uh, authenticity that you just can't recreate from a cisgender perspective. They're just, um, I mean, I it, as, a, as a film critic, I encounter that a lot. The, you know, even when sometimes when people are trying their best, you just look at it and you're like, okay, it's not all about genitals yeah. or it's not all about whether you know hooking up with a trans person makes you gay or not like really these real world issues i mean these real world uh scenarios are not really at all like this so uh and we um it's it's great to hear we did a lot of that with uh i recently was involved in a project to write a trans kids book with um uh chaz harris and adam reynolds who did um the relatively famous now uh a couple of kids books called promise land and maiden voyage which feature uh gay characters and lesbian characters um, so I wrote the third book with them, um, called Raven Wild and the protagonist is a trans woman. And, uh, we had to give her transition a th- certain authenticity without obviously mentioning genitals or sex or anything because, you know, it's a kid's yeah. book. Um, and it was actually surprisingly easy. <laughs> I mean, that's just so important because, um, I, I'm friends with some people who uh, work with uh, transgender youth a lot. And uh, I was at a conference last summer where uh, they had a day camp. Uh, It was a weekend conference and there was a kids camp for the uh, gender diverse youth. And you just see them and the especially the the anti-trans activists in England are just like, oh, transing children, transing children. No, they're they're real. And they they need this kind of uh they need this kind of support. And they need to see these kind of characters to know that you know that's that's there's a certain sense of community that those stories provide somebody that you know you're not this other you're you belong. Yeah. And uh that's that's so great to so great. I to mean, know. if when I was a kid if I had a had a, a little bit more than just Swan Lake to put my trans feelings on that would have been pretty good actually. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even it sounds ridiculous, but um, uh, when I was a child, Power Rangers had just come out when I was uh, very little, and uh, one of the Rangers had a uh, had really long hair. And as somebody who I still to this day cannot go get my hair cut, I just it I have this like institutionalized uh, or in, internalized um, 
phobia against it. And I saw that. I'm mean, like, okay, well, that's a, a sense of belonging. And I think a, a transgender character then would have done uh, would have done wonders for my development as a yeah, child. I think a lot of us feel that way. It's just about normalizing it so that people, trans kids are aware that um, trans people exist because, God, it was lonely as a child thinking I was the only person like me. Yeah, I know that. Uh, I know that feeling. But um, I, we're in a good uh, era. I mean, putting aside all of the crap that uh, people hurl at us on social media, but otherwise, um, you know, the world is changing, and uh, it, it's just been it's been so great to talk to you about uh, all of the ways that uh, New Zealand has approached its transgender rights debate. It, in a lot of ways, a lot more positive than ours, and uh, it's been. Uh, it's been really a pleasure to to talk to you and get uh, your perspective on all of these issues. It's been really, uh, really fascinating conversation. Cool. And thank you for having me. It's been great. Uh, do you want to tell us where we can uh, tell our listeners where we can find you one more time? I'll, I'll include the links to everything. Um, so my, my Twitter is probably my main area where everything goes. And that's uh, Kate Spice, C-A-T-E-S-P-I-C-E. That's my Twitter handle, uh, at Kate Spice. Um, and the No Sleep podcast is the other place where I um, have a lot of my um, work produced in audio, and um, I write there not as Caitlin Spice, but as um, C.M. Scandreth, so you can find me un- under that name as well. Awesome. Well, uh, I want to thank you again, Caitlin. This has been uh, a real treat, and uh, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, at least mention you do, in fact, like uh, spicy food. Um, oh, yeah. You have a great, uh, really one of the perfect last names if I've ever seen one. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, thanks. Thanks so much again for coming on. This has been a, a real treat and I love, I love doing these international podcasts. You get so much, uh, you learn so much about the ways the world's different and you learn some ways that it's the same and it's uh, just been lovely. And to everybody listening, uh, I want to thank you for uh, tuning in and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.